0: Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. As you're turning there, I'm going to display some uh, fantastic goodies here. Is Daryl here? Daryl, this one's just for you, buddy. Just for you. Yeah, you can call time out when you come up and see it. I have two Michigan jerseys here because I love Michigan, and it happens to go with our text today. How on earth does this go with our text Today, Well, let me point out a few things here about these jerseys. They represent a fantastic team. And if you don't have a college team, I encourage you to jump on in. Where Our coaches make poor decisions, as they have recently, and don't win a lot of games. But uh, out of these two jerseys, one is genuine, one is fake. One's authentic, one isn't. Which is which? Place your bets. Talk to your family. If you get it right, I will get you lunch today. All right? You stick around. I'll take care of lunch. Come on downstairs. Think we got chicken for you. Which is which? How do you know? You look at it, you can feel it. It's not to feel, it's not to look. It's not even the tag. I think one says, let me see, made in the USA. It's not even location of where it's made. This one says uh, made in El Salvador. It's not location of where it's made. You know, my wife and I, when we were in Guam, there's an island just north of us called Saipan. At that point in time, when we were there, that's where all of the authentic field worn jerseys for the NFL were made, in Saipan, of all places. Tiny little island Pacific. So, how do you know which is which? Which one's real? Which one's fake? It's the author. It's the author. You can put a tag on here that says made in wherever, and yet it's made in Bob's backyard. But does Bob have the rights to license the jerseys for that team? Who owns the rights to this? Bob or Nike? You're saying two differences. So you can make the same thing. In fact, Bob could work at Nike and smuggle home the material and make it at his house, and guess what it's called? But the same material made by the same person made in Bob's backyard. Which one's real, which one's fake? It's the one that Bob made in his backyard. He had no authority. He had no right to do that. One's real, one's fake, one's genuine, one is not. Spiritually, this is true as well. As we saw last week, there are two masters, two owners. The devil and the savior. Who owns the rights to your soul? Of the fall, we're all born going astray. We all turn to our own way. But the Lord laid on Jesus, him, the iniquity of us all. And if we come and trust in Jesus as our Savior, then we've been purchased with his blood, 1 Corinthians 6 says. And so we are not our own, for we are bought with a price. Therefore, we should glorify God with our body and our soul. Who owns the rights? And how do you tell the difference? Is it possible that somebody here is a fake? Absolutely. Well, how do we know it? Because Paul's writing to Timothy, and there were fakes in his midst. There could be fakes in ours. You can look the part. Right? I was a pastor's kid. I know how to look the part. I know how to put on the show. Some of you may be genuinely Christian. But this morning may have just been awful, and this would have been a clash, clash, clash in your home and everything. Get in the car, got to get to the church, and then you're sitting there yelling, screaming, shouting. And then you get here, hey everybody, God is doing a work in our heart and soul. Well <laughs> Kids, are like what on earth just happened, right? Somehow the alarm clock not going off, or maybe hitting snooze, all of a sudden tests everybody's spirituality. But what's genuine and what's fake, what's a real Christian, what's fake? And Paul's going to challenge Timothy to recognize those in his midst that have gone from honorable to dishonorable," or they're dishonorable to begin with, and some that are just complete counterfeits. He's going tell me to avoid these people, recognize them and avoid them, because they're going to do damage to the family of God. So the question you and I need to ask as we walk through this, am I, are you, authentic? Am I, are you, are, are, are we, authentic? We'll see this in 2 Timothy 3. So if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 9, I'll tell you at the end, I'll tell you which one's right. So, right, spouse, you can figure which one's sleeping on the couch later. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions always learning, and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for the folly will be plain to all, as was that of these two men. So again, we're going to look at, we've gone from dishonorable to honorable, and now we're looking at counterfeits. And Paul's going to give again, how many examples? He'll give two examples at the end, two different people, that are examples of these counterfeits. So in our text, Paul will point out the counterfeits and will instruct Timothy to recognize and avoid difficult and deceptive people. First, recognize and avoid the difficult. Look at verse number one. But understand this. In the last last days, there will come times of difficulty. Difficult times lie ahead, Timothy. And we've seen this throughout this book where Paul continues to remind him that suffering is on the horizon. But this is going to be true for all of the last days. There will be times and seasons for Christians in different places and different locations that will continue to experience difficult times. We, of course, in America, do not face the same, and, I, and there are some that feel like we're unbelievably oppressed because of the changes that have been made in the last, whatever, 10, 15, 20 years. And all of a sudden our freedoms are just dwindling. We don't have, an, and some of that may be true. But compare ourselves to act, to Christians in Afghanistan. Compare ourselves to those in China. We are not oppressed. I mentioned before that years ago when my wife and I flew over to Turkey to help with a missions conference and our friends that landed the day before us, they landed on Easter Sunday. We came the day after. And they landed on Easter Sunday and they said, hey, just to let you know the people that they're going to church with in, in Turkey, they said, just so you know, there's, there's a bomb threat at our church. Easter Sunday. And they're like, Bomb threat. What do we do? Well, we cancel here because of snow. Well, what do you do? We go to church. There's a bomb threat. Do not forsake the summing yourselves together. Well, look, we'll do our part. We're send a couple people, make sure we're good. But we're going to church, and we feel oppressed. But there are people that are going through actual difficult times, difficult seasons right now, who cannot meet in a building like this, cannot turn on the lights for fear of what may come. Praise God, as Danny prayed, that we have the freedom to do this. What a blessing it is that we can openly worship the Lord. But these difficult times, and listen, it may crank down here in the States. It very very may well happen. Where we may have to go underground. But as we've seen in church history, the more those screws tighten down and the more the church is persecuted, what happens? The gospel spreads. We may need more persecution here in America for people to wake up and realize this life is, n- is not my own. This world is not my home. There are difficult times, Timothy, that are going to be coming ahead. And these are going to produce difficult people that bring difficulty into your church, your ministry, and your life. And he's going to give you 19 traits, 19 of them. We're going to walk through, try to walk through quickly. Some of them are self-explanatory. Some of them need a little bit of explanation. Some of them may come as a surprise. Some may catch you off guard. But look at verse number 2. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying his power, avoid such people first, lovers of self we're commanded to love God, we're commanded to love our neighbors, and these people have gone with option C I'm going to do me I'm going to love me I'm going to look out for numero uno me this is, who I'm, this is who I'm out for. Want to meet a difficult person? Find somebody who loves himself more than anything else. Another difficult person is a lover of money. Matthew 6, 24 instructs us that we cannot serve two masters. Specifically, you cannot love God and love money. You can't. They'll tell Timothy, as we saw in 1 Timothy, that a love of money is a, a root of all kinds of evil. Love of money. The the Ebenezer Scrooge finds money to be more valuable than people. His stuff to be more valuable than souls. This lover of money will use people and love things. And we are called to love people and use things. Next, we see in verse 2 the difficult people, they're proud and they're arrogant. They're proud through their boasting in themselves, their arrogant in their attitude, they walk around with superiority. I am better than. You would never see somebody church walk around as if they're better than you, would you? As I say that sarcastically. Well, I wore a coat. They didn't. I'm superior. My kids weren't fighting coming in, and theirs were. Did you see so-and-so fell asleep in church? We're superior. We got it all figured out. They're blasphemers, and their blasphemies targeted at others, at God and their fellow man. That's so why you'll see the word translated in some places, not just blasphemers or as abusive or demeaning, depending on your translation, because their language, their abusive, blasphemic language is focused at people. And before you look down again, if you're going to add the next thing, so don't look down. Don't look down at the next verse. Don't do it, some of you. If you are to look add the next next thing to the list they love themselves instead of God they love themselves instead of others they love money more than other things you know, these are different could, could be uh, maybe one of those is true of a person and one's not they're boastful, they're arrogant they're blasphemers what's the next thing you would put on the list Pastor Ethan just looked down, I caught him you can flog him later what's the next thing you would put on the list Thief? Murderer? Adulterer? What would you put? What would you put? Do you remember what's put down there? Look down now. What, what's down there? Disobedient to parents. What? Parents, this is not the time for you to applaud. It's time for you to sit still. Okay? Disobedient to parents. Are you kidding me? You're telling me for a teenager, a college student, for a young one, to be be disobedient to their parents is akin to, it's the same as loving yourself more than loving God? I mean, we learned in Matthew 6 where you can't serve two masters. It's either God or money. You're telling me disobeying your parents is just like forsaking God to choose money? Yes. That's what Paul's saying. It is one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? So children, teenagers, college students, you're still in authority of your parents. Obeying and honoring your parents is a prime calling for you. Is it because they're great? Because they're sinless? Because they're perfect? What's the answer to all the above? No. How do we know your parents aren't great, perfect, and sinless? Because they made you. I say that jokingly, just relax. You, you're a chip off the old block. You're going to make the same mistakes they made. You're going to have some of the same foils and fumbles that they do. So you don't obey them and honor them because they're great and perfect and sinless. You obey them because Jesus has put them sovereignly in your life. And you trust him to do more for you than you can do for yourself. You obey and you honor. And the next four, next four Statements are likely connected to either children or, for certain, to families. The next four. What are they? Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, and unappeasable. Children, teens, are you ungrateful? Mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, do your kiddos, do they see a grateful spirit from you? Do you teach them that? Are you acting wickedly or living in an unholy lifestyle? Are you heartless? And this word actually means hard hearted towards your kindred. It's hard hearted towards your kindred, towards your siblings, towards your family. Are you getting along with your siblings? And you're like, all right, I get obeying parents, but come on. Do you know my brother? Do you know my sister? Jesus does, and he calls you to love them more than yourself. To put their needs ahead of your own, because they are made in his image. Are you unappeasable? Meaning you just won't change? One author said of these five statements that connect a family, in an ideal society, a relationship of children to their parents should be marked by obedience, gratitude, respect, affection, and reasonableness. In times of stress, all five are lacking. Are you authentic? Are you authentic? And the list of difficult people continues. Next is slanderers, which is the Greek word diabolos, devil. That connects back to 226, right? You're of the father, the devil. In 226, this person is owned by him. It's chained and snared by him. It's a slanderer. Difficult people can be without control. They're not ruled by the Spirit, but they're ruled by the passions and desires of the flesh. They could be brutal and simply just not love to do what is good. Look at verse 4. As we have more there, they're treacherous. The same word is used to describe Judas Iscariot in Luke 6.16. They're difficult people can be brash and reckless, blind with pride or swollen with conceit. In three two, we started with lovers of self and money, and now we're back to love at the last one. Verse 4, these people do not love God or their neighbor like they should. Rather, what do they love? Pleasure. This sense of affection. I love me. I love money. I love pleasure. But not God and not others. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Are you authentic? This is what was going on in these people's lives, yet somehow these people were still able to think that if they just did one or two or three, that they could still dupe others into believing that they are godly. They put on the right outfit, walk into church, plop down next to somebody, and still act as if they were a godly person. Look at verse 5. It says, having the appearance, the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Having the appearance of God. Do you have just the appearance of godliness? But that's it. You look right. Everything looks right on the outside. But inside, what did Jesus say of the Pharisees and Sadducees? You're full of dead man's bones. You look at the list of sins and and you look at the list of sins here and you start wondering if these sins show that I'm not a Christian and I, I've done one or two or three or I'm guilty of a bunch of them. Does that mean I'm not saved? Pastor, are you trying to get me to, to doubt my salvation? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Again, if you're new here, we're just walking through this book. Okay, so next week, we'll be on the next chapter. But Paul is... Helping Timothy understand that there are fakes in his midst. And he wants Timothy to help the fakes recognize who they are. They're counterfeits. And to treat them as such. So, it means you, so that's why he'll say later to avoid them. In that sense of you can't keep shepherding these people. They don't need a shepherd. They need a savior. And we'll get to that in a few seconds. So does this mean if I'm guilty of one or two of these doesn't mean I'm not a Christian and not necessarily and maybe well what do I mean by that it's possible you're not a Christian how would I know there's not like when you accept Jesus you don't get like a holy belt buckle that comes around and everyone's like hey you're a Christian look at your belt buckle there's not we don't have one of those there's no nasal swab we can give you that comes out positive for Christian. Aren't you thankful for that? But at the same time, be nice. So how would you know? How would you know if you are genuine or authentic? Because certainly the Pharisees and Sadducees of Christ's day, would they not have thought that they were authentic, the Pharisees and Sadducees? They thought they were it. They're the cat's meow. We are. What you should be, and Jesus says, <laughs> "No, uh, mm. pass. You're the opposite of what people should be. You're swollen with conceit." Earlier in our scripture reading, we heard from Miss Virgie that there will be people that will prophesy in the name of the Lord. There will be people that even cast out demons. And what will Jesus say in the end? What will He say in the end? "I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness." Even the demons believe, James says, and they tremble. So what is it? How can I know if I am what I claim to be? How can I know if I'm an authentic or a fake, a counterfeit? You see, the answer is in this verse in the very next phrase. They have the appearance of godliness. It looks good from the outside, but what do they do next? They have denied the power. They have denied the power of the gospel. Look at three five the appearance of God, but denying its power. They've denied the power of the gospel. What does that mean? when author said they evidently attended the worship services of the church. They sang the hymns, said the amen to the prayers. They put their money in the offering plate. They looked and sounded egregiously pious, but it was form without power. Outward show without inward reality. Religion without morals. Faith without works. When Jesus saves you, he makes a new creation. This is the transforming power of the gospel of God. If you've never experienced to know the transforming power of God, you've never known that God to transform your soul from death to life, you have good reason to question if you are what genuine or counterfeit. On the other hand, we have to wonder if I have been transformed by God. If Jesus has made me new, what should I do if I struggle with the sins listed here? What do you think the answer is? Repent. Turn. Come back. The prodigal son committed sin after sin. The father welcomed him back, but what did it start off with? He turned from what his life. He's running back, and where's the father? He's on the road. What's the first thing he says to his father? Father, I have sinned. There we go you're on the right track come back turn away from sin come back to the father whose arms are open wide who is faithful and just who forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness come back if you find yourself here if you're in these sins and you see no reason to confess I have no reason to confess disobeying my parents I have no reason to confess loving money Pleasure or self. If you have no reason to confess, I would do some heavy soul searching. There's no regret, no, mo- no remorse, no confession. You need to search your soul to see if you've been truly, genuinely transformed by the power of God and His gospel. Are you authentic? Are you authentic? Needless to say, the 19 traits listed by Paul here dealt with difficult people of all types and sizes. He had his hands full, but things would continue to get worse because some of the crowd would take it to the next step. Look at the next part here. Recognize and avoid the deceitful. We have the difficult, but now we have the deceitful. Look at verse 6. For among them, these, these difficult people, among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth among them, again, that three, one through five, those described in this lot, uh, produced a group of deceitful people that were trying to take advantage of others. It's not enough for them to be entrenched and ensnared and in, in, imprisoned by Satan, but now they're trying to get others ensnared and chained by him as well. There were those that were taking advantage of women, not just any women, but women that Paul describes as weak. So all ladies just take a deep breath, Let me explain what he means by that. Okay, you'd say the same for men if they meet these qualifications. What specifically about these women made them weak? They were haunted by their past and or perhaps were susceptible to being led astray by their passion. That was their weakness. And these men, we assume, or others, we assume, came by And were leading, taking advantage of these ladies in various forms and fashions, ensnaring them, capturing them, and overcoming them. One author said of this one of the reasons these women were so easily taken in by the false teachers with burdened consciences from guilt of past sins, and possibly still in such sin, they were quite vulnerable to any false view to ease their conscience. So, these deceivers who had denied the power of the gospel and opposed the truth of God's word came in. They took advantage of these ladies, and Paul and I will now share an illustration of two deceivers who were similar to what we see here in this stage. Who are the two deceivers that we see in verse number eight and nine? Just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith. Now, who are Janus and Jambres? Do you remember? Who these people are that talk to Moses. Do you remember what book they're found in? Nobody? Anybody? Exodus. Exodus. That's a good guess. The answer, it's not in the Bible. So it's not in any of those. It's not. So how do we get Janus and Jambres? You're like, I, I didn't think I could remember. I don't remember those names from the Old Testament. Well, they're not there. So how do we get to Janus and Jambres? According to Jewish tradition, There are two fellows named Janus and Jambres. Do you remember, back to, I don't remember who said Exodus, but somewhere over here, Exodus, Moses, wanted to lead the people of Israel out of slavery, right? When Moses was doing so, he would go before Pharaoh, and he would perform a miracle, do something that would blow our minds, and the magicians, Pharaoh's magicians, would try to do the same thing. And the first couple times it seemed like they succeeded and they are kind of going toe-to-toe and then all, rea- all of a sudden they realize we can't go toe-to-toe. We can't do this. This is power beyond power that we've ever seen before. This is a power of God. Well, two of those magicians, according to Jewish tradition, are named Janus and Jambres. And when the people of Israel left, these two fellows were like, we're going with them. They have the true power of God. And so they left with them. And when Moses was up on the mountain, these two knuckleheads convinced the people to make a god, a golden calf, when Moses was gone. So the blame, according to Jewish tradition, is on Janus and Jambres. So Paul used this illustration from Jewish tradition to point out this truth here, that these men, what's happening in the church of Ephesus, what's happening in Timothy's church, is the same thing that Jewish tradition points to for Janus and Jambres, that you have these men are taking advantage, just like Janus and Jammerich took advantage of the weak people of Israel at that time. These men are taking advantage of people in the church, and they're leading them astray. These kind of men oppose the truth. They're corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith. They're not an honorable vessel. They're counterfeit. They are fakes. Paul says in verse 9 by saying, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Eventually the foolishness of these men in Timothy's day will be made clear, as it was during the rebellion of the golden calf. The deceitful people will be exposed, and rightfully so. So what does all this mean for us today, and what can we apply to our lives from A text that has a lot to do with just sin and people that are opposed to the gospel. What can we apply as Christians? First, let me ask you, friend, are you authentic? Are you authentic? I've mentioned here before that in the church I grew up in, one of our deacons ended up walking down the aisle one day and accepted Jesus as his Savior because he realized I'm not authentic. I have the appearance of godliness crossed my T's, dotted my I's. I never met the transforming power of God. Can you imagine deacons, the humility that I had to take to stand before the church and say, I've never known Jesus. And you all selected me because you thought I was a true servant. reality was, I was a great actor. that humility that's what jesus loves come low come humble that's the way we all have to come are you authentic have you ever experienced the transforming power of the gospel Have you ever been saved from your sin to the savior or th- of the world i can't answer for you neither can your family you personally whether you're a child whether you're a teen, college student, or whether you're in your 80s or beyond. Have you been transformed by the power of God? Have you been made a new creation? Are you authentic? If you are not, I beg you, (laughs) I beg you, come to the Savior today. As Mr. Danny prayed, it's a blessing to know him, to know his forgiveness. You know, he loves and he cares. Jesus did live. He did die. He did rise from the dead. He did ascend on high. He still lives today and he intercedes on behalf of his own. Do you believe and trust in him and know the transforming power of God? If you have questions on how you do that, see myself, see a Christian friend that you came with. We'd love to walk you through how you can do that. For all those here that claim to be Christian, you claim to have known the power of God. You've been transformed by his work, your new creation, Christian. Do you love God more than you love your sin? Do you love God more than you look, love, love your sin? Look, look at this, these verses again. Look at two through five. Are you stuck in the mire of one of these sins? Multiple of these sins? Listed. Can you say you're free, living in victory today? What should I do if, if I'm ensnared? What should I do if I feel like I'm stuck? Turn. Confess. Be cleansed. And then as we saw last Sunday, what was Used for dishonorable use can now be used for honorable use because it has been cleansed by the power of God. You can be a workman approved, a vessel worthy, fit for the master. Turn, turn and confess. Student, teen, child, are you obeying and honoring your parents? Are you thankful or ungrateful? Unholy or holy? Are you unloving or loving towards your siblings and your parents? If you're, if you're not, what do you have to do? Turn, confess. Turn and confess. Come to your parents today. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I blew it here and here. And help me. Would you help me be better at A, B, or C? Are you living a double life? Do you have the form of godliness? You come here Sunday, and maybe people think, man, what a godly, what a godly man, what a godly woman. But Monday to Friday, everybody else knows who you are. Do you have the appearance of godliness? And that's all. What could God do for you if you would give Him seven days of the week instead of one? Lastly, Christian, how thankful are you for the transforming power of God? You go through the list of sins that we see in Scripture, go through the list of sins that you see even here in this text, and you realize Except for God's grace, I could be ensnared by all of them all the time. But God. Ephesians 2 tells us that when we were born, we were born dead, going astray. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. But God makes us alive. By grace, you are saved through faith. How thankful are you for the transforming the gospel. Praise God this week. Then by His grace, as we saw in chapter 2 of this text, go be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Go live for Him through His power, not your own. Are you authentic? Are you a fake? Let's bow for a prayer. Jesus, help us. I don't know the hearts of everybody here, but I would assume each of us here would never want to be characterized as a fake or a counterfeit. So Lord, as was prayed in our earlier prayer, we pray that if there's somebody here that does not know you as Savior, Lord, may today they come. May today they know you. That they would know the grace of God, His mercy, His love, His forgiveness they may know the power, the transforming power of the gospel that brings life from death. Lord, we pray for us as believers, Lord, to love you more than money, more than ourselves, more than pleasure. Lord, help us to honor, help us to obey the authorities that you place in our life. Keep us, Lord, from living that Judas Iscariot, double life. And Lord, as we walk through this week, may we, with great rejoice, praise you time and time again for the transforming work and power of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray.